Um, yeah, so uh, in this class up till now, we've spent a lot of time uh, in the Old Testament. Um, we've kind of jumped forward and talked about atonement with Tim Ketchum, and we talked about some practical things with Emily Stutzman and Rob Touchstone. Um, but uh, we spent a lot of time in the Old Testament dealing with the question, uh, mostly, that could be like, <laughs> um, why did God make man? Why did God make humanity? And we've tried to, to talk about that through the scriptural story, through the creation story, and so forth. Um, so now, I think today and for the remainder of uh, the next couple weeks, we want to really kind of jump forward into uh, really focusing on the New Testament and, and a different sort of question. And um, so we're going to start with the question of incarnation, which instead of the question of why did God create man, we want to ask, why did God become man? Why did God become a human? So I'm, I'm interested in, uh, in your thoughts about this, and I, I'm, I might take some notes, because <laughs> this, this is a big question, I think. Uh, so what, what do you guys think? What are some things that you think uh, made this something that God felt the need to do? Yeah, God, God had to enter into it in order to to expel it, right? Like, yeah, yeah I, I was going to agree with you. Tim's explanation of was it condemnation? The word that means separate and then push down, or oh yeah, I don't remember what that word. Yeah, was. yeah, and I don't remember. I think it was like literally the sin in his body. He pushed it away, separated it, and then pushed it down, mm -hmm. and that's why he became man to show. Not only that that can be done, but to literally do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to do it himself, right? Like the 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 thing that needed to be done, he had to enter into it, kind of get his hands dirty in, in the if process. You didn't before Tim, if you asked yeah, yeah. Like, because he loves us. Well, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, those are. I you know I I was trying to think as I'm thinking through this, like what's the Sunday school answer to this? Like what's the kind of like. What do you get right off the bat uh, when you, you know, start going to church classes or whatever? What do they? What would they say? Just because he loves us, or to bridge the divide? Maybe. Okay, okay, the bridge. So yeah, there, I've seen sometimes they have the picture of like there's a a big uh, chasm, and then uh, God's on one side and humanity's on another, and there's a cross like in, as a bridge in between, and people are walking and hopefully not falling off the edge as as they do. Yeah. That. What do you have to say, Ryan? <laughs> you know, he's probably asking himself the same thing. <laughs> Why did I do this? <laughs> well, he's certainly in the Old Testament, in right before Noah, he's like, Why did I create humanity? Right? So, 
Uh, yeah, I'm sure, you know, a, a few minutes into it, Jesus was like, why? You know, uh, <laughs> uh, Tiffany? Okay. Yeah. Be. An example. Mm-hmm. We never got into it as in depth or even thought about it like yeah. we were talking about before. But mm-hmm. you know, growing up it was always just because you want to be just like him, you know, you yeah. he had to show you what to do. Yeah. I remember this little parable thing that was told me like, you know, there was like some, you know, farmer and there was some birds stuck in his barn or whatever. And he's like, Oh, I could show them the way out, you know, I know the way out, but I don't know. Oh, where the the guy has to the ge- uh, what is it the geese? It's an ultralight like a goose. So yeah. That the, goo- the geese follow it down south. Yeah. The, save themselves for the, the geese don't know how to get home, so he like becomes a goose right. like through it by painting an ultralight plane, so he That's can so guide cool. them. Yeah. That's just <laughs> yeah. It's interesting premise for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other like any other thoughts or reasons why why this is? I, I feel like there's a lot of kind of like half-baked things that we toss around all the time, but never really like think through a lot. I guess one of my questions for you is too, again, going back to him talking about the fact, the, the Trinitarian aspect. Yeah. Like the, he's still in man. Like yeah. he didn't just come and be like, oh man, what did I do that for? He like literally is still pouring into mm-hmm. mankind. Yeah. And that's odd to me. Yeah. Not odd, but yeah, odd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good word. <laughs> that's a good word for it. Yeah, I think there's so many interesting things there. It's 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 really intriguing that um, that we have this really odd idea in in a lot of ways that maybe we haven't thought a lot about or really unpacked. Um, you know, because we kind of just jump to we jump from a little bit of theory, well, there's a God, you know, who created the world to, okay, now we should, you know, do good or something like that. And all this juicy stuff in the middle, <laughs> we're not always sure what to do with. Um, look, so I want to read uh, a couple of passages. Um, I, I'll read uh, this first one that I think probably would come up in a lot of people's discussion of it. And then I've got another one to throw in that I think is less commonly referred to. Uh, So this says, uh, this is Hebrews 2, um, 10 through 18, and we'll we'll actually come back to this chapter um, later on. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, 
and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So this is, uh, in this passage, it it talks about this idea, um, and it kind of plays on a a few of the things that that you guys have talked about. Um, Particularly, uh, it talks about, uh, you know, by sharing in their humanity, uh, he can die and somehow through that break the power of death, right? I feel like that's maybe, um, uh, well, it definitely plays, in, it plays into a lot of things that Tim said and, and uh, so on. But it also talks about um, he uh, basically being able to sympathize with us, right? And so him uh, taking on this characteristic in order that he can understand um, what we're doing and so that he can represent us in a, in a comprehensive way. Um, so I, I think there's some undertones of, of example and so forth in there as well. Um, but yeah, so there's some different uh, pieces. Are there any things that stand out to you in this um, that, that maybe weren't, uh, you weren't thinking of before? writers explaining how we don't know who wrote Hebrews, right? Right. But they're explaining how Jesus is both fully human but fully divine. Mm-hmm. And it's a, if we don't hit that here, that's kind of the whole point. You won't get the rest of the Hebrews mm-hmm. of what he's trying to say. Yeah. So I think this is pointing out that you know, he feels you, he knows your pain, mm-hmm. but he's also bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and w- one of the kind of context points for uh for this passage if i'm if i'm uh recalling correctly is is like he's going uh, the author's going through and kind of talking about all these different things that you might be drawn to as a as a hebrew you might like want to follow moses you might want to uh in this context you might want to follow angels right these are angelic beings and uh in hebrews 2 he goes through and talks about why um, Jesus is a better savior for us than angels would be, right? Yeah, yeah, all those things. So, um, so yeah, this is a really interesting context. Here's one that jumped out to me uh, recently. 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, this is uh, 20, uh, verse 20 through uh, verse 49. We'll skip, skip some in the middle, but... But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of earth, The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. What uh, jumps out to you about this? Or what other light does this cast on the idea?
that like growing up, you know, we're always told that we're supposed to be, or that Jesus came to be an example. You know, that was always what I was told. He came to be the example for us. Mm. Um, but the more you look at it, it almost seems like, so we were created in the image of God. And, but because of that humanity, there became a gap. So then to fix that gap, God had to have part of us become part of humanity. Mm-hmm. So it was really more for, it was part of it was for God to understand our humanity as well, mm-hmm. which we don't think about. Mm-hmm. We think more about, it's just, you know, he didn't need to understand us. He already knew us, but, but not really. Yeah. It kind of, it, it made it so that he could understand what was going on with us as well. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, like, because that provides, like, <clears throat> I just thought it was when you're talking, when the, the Spirit intercedes for you, when you don't know what you're praying to God, it's like, I get it. Let me, and that's, yeah. that's pretty powerful. I didn't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that really points to the idea of, like, a two-way process, yeah. right? Um, God has something to show us, but even, even though it's not a great something, like, right. we have something to show Him, too, right? <laughs> Um, so that also means that we 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 don't have an excuse to say, mm. um, well, you know, yeah, he, he doesn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So we can't say, you know, yeah, we're in a sense by by God by Jesus becoming a man, mm-hmm. we're, I mean, not to take this the wrong way, we're the same. We're not, mm-hmm. but, but we're the same. Well, there, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, of sense of that. Um, it says, you know, if we bore the image of the earthly man, we're going to bear the image of the heavenly man. And uh, it talks about, uh, in the Hebrews passage we read, um, you know, he's of the same family, right? So there's, there's very much a sense that, um, you know, we in a lot of cases want to say, well, Christ is so much, you know, beyond us. Um, and that's certainly true in a, in a respect. And, and at the same time, the scripture goes out of its way to say Christ is, is with us. Christ is just like us in all these ways. Here, here's something that jumped out to me. And this is actually like one of the things that hit me um, that started uh, think, making me think along the lines that, that um, led to some of the thoughts in this class. Um, the second line up there. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. And I saw that and I realized he's giving us a reason for the incarnation. He's telling us why it was necessary for God to become incarnate. And I think a lot of times about like the idea of salvation, right? Like uh, a lot of times we think about salvation as being a process of, well, Jesus paid for our sins, took our guilt, and so it's done with. But I would wonder, I always want to question, well, why did that have to happen in first century Israel? Why did it have to happen in world history? Why couldn't it have happened on Mars, right? Why did we even have to know about it? God did this thing. Jesus could have done it somewhere else, sent us a message, said, hey, here's the deal. Check, check, check. You're done. Like, it doesn't have to happen where we can see it 
and be involved in it, right? Um, if it was just a matter of, of God fixing the economic or legal problem between us and him, I feel like God could have come up with a different way of doing that. And if it were just a matter of, well, God needs to raise us from the dead, well, God can do that, right? But what this passage points to, to me, is the idea that um, God didn't want to do it by himself. Right? God didn't want to, do, to, to achieve salvation all by himself. That in fact, uh, since the problem was a human problem, God wanted to solve that problem through a human mechanism. And so Jesus could become human in order that humans could actually solve the problem. Okay, Is that, uh, that's, that's a, uh, a huge uh, jump there. So um, that, that probably, is that, is that pretty abstract or is it just pretty uh, extreme? Let's, let's um, jump forward just a second and then kind of see if you can follow with me on this. So what we've, what we've talked about in, in class so far is, is mostly about the story of Scripture. And um, I've uh, suggested that God creates humanity for partnership, right? Like this is, um, this is what humanity is created for. This is the commission given to humanity. This is the nature given to humanity, the image of God. And then God calls humanity to do things that, that God does, create and cultivate life. And um, they're called to you know, be multiply and fill the earth and all these kinds of things, but to, um, to imitate God's work in the world, right? But what's the next thing that happens? Humanity breaks the partnership. We talked about the fall, and uh, what, what we tried to point out is that in the fall, it's not simply that, okay, humanity sins, it's that then that sin becomes a barrier to partnership with God, right? People have, have broken the deal with God, and they've broken their relationship with God, and now they're hiding from God, and now they're no longer working together with God. So the humanity God created for partnership is no longer operating in partnership with him. So, what, what do we get then? What happens next? God sets out to redeem humanity, right? God is gonna fix the problem. Um, when does that start? Okay, how, how, how so? <laughs> I think you're, I think you're right. Um, I, I would even go so far as to say like the, uh, um, expelling from Eden is part of the, the way that God's going to work through this. Yeah. Um, he kind of gives a rationale for it, you know, like, w this is going to be a problem, so we're going to have to resolve this. Um, 
when we, a lot of times when we talk about the plan of redemption, we think just about, you know, life, death, and, and resurrection of, of Jesus, right? And so it's just a, like, very short thing, and then, you know, that we're baptized, and that, that's it, right? But I, I, what, I've, what I've tried to look at is that, that actually the plan of redemption, God's working that plan all along, right, from the very beginning. This, uh, he's setting out to redeem humanity. Um, how does he, in, in these kind of first moments of the, the biblical story, how does he do that? Beyond Eden, what do we see next? Mm-hmm. I would say when he started to Cain and Abel one of us mm-hmm. in the way that and how he interacts with them. Yeah. And even though it's a further degradation of that partnership and what it can't stand. Yeah. And you say he still is trying to you know, work with that in order to do it. Yeah. Yeah, God actually shows a lot of concern for Cain in that that account, which is really interesting. Um, even after Cain is a murderer, God's like, I'm still going to take care of you. It's, um, but yeah, we, we talked about several of the, the different biblical stories. One, which we talked about um, kind of earlier, is uh, the story of Noah, right? And this is a story of, of redemption. It's, as the story tells it, basically the, the world had become too evil to bear its own weight, um, it's going to be wiped out, and, uh, but God sees one person he thinks he can work with, calls that person to construct an ark, right? and through that process he not only saves human life, but he saves the life of, of all these other living creatures. Right? And when we talked about that, uh, I, I asked the question, why does God use Noah? Right? Why do, like, why doesn't God build the boat? Why doesn't God save the animals? Um, and and there's a lot of a lot of uh, talk about that. Um, but I, I want to suggest that this is carrying forward the story of Scripture. We get the story of redemption, and the story of redemption is that starts with God calling someone into partnership. So God calls Noah into partnership with him, right? He says, I want to save the world. I want to save human life. I want to partner with you to do that. You're going to be the agent through which I'm going to work to redeem the world, to to save not only human life, but also all these other species, right? Um, and, um, and this is a paradox right here, right? Like, again, like, why does God, why does God need a partner? Why does God want a partner in this? Uh, but he does. And we see it also in the story of Abraham, right? God calls Abraham. And what's the commission? Does anybody remember the, the kind of mission statement that he gives to Abraham? The commission he, uh, when he calls Abraham, what does he say to him? He does uh, basically say that, as he does to Noah and all these other people. But he also says, says something else along with it. 
Abraham specifically is called, he says, I will make you a people and through you I will bless all nations. Right? Like, I will bless all people. So this is the commission to Abraham is not just to be um, the people of God. It, it's the people of God is commissioned to bless the nations, to be an agent of God's redemption in the world. This is the, the point of it, right? And what we see in those things is, um, in those stories, it, with Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, we see uh, God creating a covenant. He says to Noah, I will create a covenant with you. He says to Abraham, I will create a covenant with you. And covenant is just a deal, right? Here's the terms, here's the deal. We're now in a partnership, right? And the word covenant shows up again and again in the, the scriptures, and it's about God being in partnership with a specific people, asking them to do a specific kind of redemptive work. And so, uh, so this is the story of redemption I think we see from Noah, Abraham, Moses, David on God calls a people into partnership, but just like God creates a people for partnership, um, God's people break the partnership, right? And that, so they fail at this mission. And so that's the whole biblical story. God creates people for partnership, they break the partnership. He calls a people into partnership to fix that problem. They break the partnership that was supposed to fix the problem. And that keeps going on and on and on until we get to what? The universal Bible class answer. <laughs> right. Right. Jesus. Right. God sends his son. So this is the ultimate um, culmination of all these things. And what does it mean that he sends his son? How does that relate to the fact that God called, that God created a people for partnership, and then he called a people for partnership? And when all those things had failed, he sends his son. I think, too, like, if, if you read the Old Testament, there's a lot, especially when it gets to, like, the prophets, they're pointing to this. Mm -hmm. There's going to come a day, there's going to come a day. So I don't know that it was necessarily, you know, okay, you all fell to the point where now hmm. send Jesus. I think it was just all in the messiness of the story. He knew what he was going to do. Yeah. And he wanted people involved all the way along or else he wouldn't be telling them ahead of time, hey, there's the son of yeah. David's coming, the son of whatever, or the, not the son of David, but Adam, all sorts of things. Yeah, there, there's always the question of like, in, in some things, and we talked about this before, in some things it's like, did God figure out that they were going to fail? Or is he letting us see like how this fails, right? Like, is he, is he saying, let's try this? And then we, when we fail, he's like, okay, here's, here's another step in this process. So that's, yeah, that's a um, thing. But it's, yeah, definitely like driving forward, looking forward. Um, and, and as I see it, like it's, it's intensifying, right? Like you have this setup, and then it d doesn't work. And so God provides a solution and that doesn't work. And then he provides a solution and that doesn't work because people keep failing at this because people keep breaking that partnership. And so the ultimate culmination of that is God sends his son, who I would say is the ultimate partnership between God and humanity. 
Right? This is what I think we mean when we say incarnation. Right? Jesus is, is fully God and fully human in, so that in this one person, we have that partnership embodied. Right? Jesus is not just somebody kind of wearing a human suit or something like that. He is the embodiment of the partnership between God and humanity. He actually makes it real. And so in Jesus, we do see like the example uh, because he is it. He is what that is supposed to be. But we also see so many other things. Like we see so many other dimensions of this uh, playing out. And um, uh, so I, I want to kind of toss this out. What are, what, is, what are some of the ways in which Jesus is this ultimate partnership between God and humanity? The ultimate new deal. No, I, I like it. <laughs> and, and, and so, I, so with that, I mean, you have this new this idea. You, you continue this concept of covenant, obviously, which is a very big reference to partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he is the new covenant, yeah. right? And it, it makes me think, yeah, the, the Last Supper, he says, you know, this is my body and this is my blood. The, the new covenant, you know, like... That's yeah. That's a really good point. That's so, interesting. You continue that language. Mm-hmm. I struggle with the, the fully human part of this, mm. like because I know the Bible says you know he wept, yeah, angry, and dealt with temptation. But like I want to hear Jesus had strep throat, you know. Or, right. right. I mean, like there's there's not a lot of story about like yeah, just off the wall stuff, and so I really struggle when I'm reading the Bible to. See him as like sitting in class, hanging out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, it's interesting that, that uh, Jesus is not like uh, Britney Spears, right? Like Britney Spears, I think was you know started her career at like age thirteen or something, you know. And we kind of get that Jesus in the temple with his parents, you know, like, um, and and he's kind of talking to people, but he doesn't go public until he's thirty, right? He and and uh, I've talked to. Sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> I, that just came to my mind. I don't. Know. Every miracle did, like, oops, I did. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, but yeah, he has like thirty years of like. Sorry. Good. No, no. I I went there. Yeah. I, he has thirty years of good, like solid human life where he's working and living with people and going to banquets and all these kinds of things. And it's not like, he's not just always, hello, I'm the Messiah, you know, like, hey friends. What, you know, it's like he's living a real human life. And, and maybe one of the reasons we don't get a lot of accounts of that is because that would take away, you know, like he had to have this, this time, right? Um, and to, to really become fully baked as a human being. <laughs> Mixing a lot of metaphors, um, but yeah, I think I, I think in church we we really do struggle with talking about the humanity of Jesus because we we you know especially like our praise songs and so forth like it's just you know it's it's just all um, Jesus as as God and not uh, 
really dealing with this unpacking this thing. And so it makes people uncomfortable sometimes when we talk about the humanity of Jesus, but he doesn't shy away from it, right? Um, the, one of the, some of the terminology we use for this is son of God and son of man. Um, and so we call Jesus the son of God. In fact, that's probably the most common thing that Christians call Jesus, right? Um, but what do you think is the most common thing that Jesus calls himself? I, I think, yeah, you can check my work on this, but it's, it's like 81 times in the Gospels that he's called the Son of Man. He's just constantly calling himself this, right? He doesn't go to uh, the Pharisees and so forth and say, you know, Son of God. He says, but he, he talks about himself as the Son of Man. And it's, it's I think, a, a question that people keep coming back to. Why does he like this phrase so much? And there's a lot of different things and lots of scholars have different opinions. But these are two phrases that, that we use that kind of like point to these different ideas. Um, and yet Jesus talks so much about, um, about being the son of man. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I think that's, that's really in, in, intriguing. Um, so I want to... Um, I want to read another passage and then maybe just kind of, I think we have time for like one really, really provocative statement that I want to throw out and <laughs> just, just leave you guys with. Um, any, any other thoughts about this um, before we, we jump into that? Yeah, or how Jesus is this embodiment of partnership like between God and humanity. Are there any other like ways in which that's the case that maybe I'm not thinking about? Yeah, he he uh, he lays out, and he's very. It's very concrete in his, in the, his way of describing it, right? Like very um, embodied and, and kind of messy, and you know things like that. And all of his instructions like that are are very much in this kind of earthy um, sort of idea and pointing towards um, earthy sort of things. Um, all right, so let's let's read um, this. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. This is short. Let this mind be in you all, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the form of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, this passage, um, 
What is it telling us? What is it telling us about incarnation? This is in this is focusing on a different aspect of incarnation than some of these other passages have, right? So other passages have focused on Jesus' ability to empathize with us and understand us. Other passages have focused on um, Jesus needs to do a job, and, and to do that job, he has to be a human. Um, this, this focuses on um, the idea of, of humbling himself, right? And he humbles himself um, by doing what? It says he emptied himself, taking on himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. At the very top of that, it says, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but he emptied himself. Now here, here's the thing that um, I don't know how you feel when you read the Gospels. When I read the Gospels, sometimes I think, this guy sounds a little arrogant. Like, there's, he doesn't always come across as, as humble, right? Now he talks, he's very humble and, and he's very empathetic and he's talking about you know, like all these things, you know, turn the other cheek and so forth. Like these are his, this is his message. And obviously the things he does in terms of, you know, going to the cross and so forth are, are humble. But I don't always get that feeling or that vibe when I read it. And in fact, sometimes he's very provocative. He's, he's very antagonistic. And he does things which he says, you know, basically, I have the right to do this, you know. And it's, it's a challenge to the people around him. So here... Here's my, here's my really provocative question, and maybe I want to like overstate this just to kind of get your mind thinking. Um, and so might exaggerate a bit here, but if Jesus, in being both God and, and human, and in his life on earth, did not grasp at his equality with God, then when he asserts some right or some privilege or some honor, what right or privilege or honor is he asserting? Does that make sense? And I, I think about this a lot. and. Um, and it, as, as I've started to like puzzle over it, I've started to think about like when Jesus does do things that people say you should not do, what does he, like, what does he invoke at that moment to justify doing that? Because I don't really see him saying, well, guys, I'm God, so I get to get away with whatever I want. I see him saying, uh, some other things, giving explanations that point to something different. So, 
rest, rest with that uh, a, a little bit. And, and I just want to try to tie this together. Um, so here's, what, here's how I see the story of, of incarnation. God became man. But as man did not claim for himself the honors and rights of being God. Instead, he claimed the nature of being human. And he exemplified for us what it means to be human, and he lived out what humans were supposed to be. He did the things humans were supposed to do but hadn't done, and he did things that maybe humans could do that uh, in their fullest uh, God-intended form that, um, that they hadn't done up to that, up to that point. Um, so, I think what we see in the Gospels is largely the image of Jesus as the ultimate human. And we have um, all kinds of terms in which this, this is applied, right? Like king, priest, um, the second Adam, the, you know, all these kinds of things. All these are human roles, Right? that had emerged through the biblical story, that now Jesus can fulfill in an act perfectly. Um, we're out of time. Uh, I had one more thing that I wanted to show. But, but um, uh, so uh, I want to read through this maybe, and we can just do this real quick. This is Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What does that sound like to you? To me, it sounds like Genesis 1, right? God says, you know, of the birds. So this is, a, this is a picture, a poetic description of this is what humanity is. And, and the psalmist is saying, why? Right? Like we're lower than the angels, but, but you've set us over all this. We're supposed to do all this. This is an amazing uh, vision. Sometimes we don't read the, the, the backstory to the New Testament. And Psalm 8 comes back up in Hebrews 2, which is we looked at uh, a few minutes ago. He says, this is early in the chapter, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death 
so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. This is quoting Psalm 8 and referencing some passages in Job and some other things like that. But he's, talk, he's talked about why Jesus is greater than the angels, right? And if I'm reading this literally, who has he subjected the world to come to? He says, it's not to angels that we have subjected the world to come. And then he talks about the role of mankind. And he says, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. God is talking about the role of humanity in uh, essentially ruling over all things, all the things he has made, even the things that have not yet been revealed. And we don't see that in part because we are not, you know, living up to the full image of God. We never did, right? And so we don't see everything subject, but we do see Jesus. And Jesus is the picture of that, right? And Jesus rules the world to come, and Jesus sits at the right hand of God because that was a role intended for humanity, and Jesus is the one who can fulfill it. Sorry, that was a a lot of stuff. Uh, We can talk about examples uh, uh, later, and like I said, you know, maybe want to overstate this uh, to get your mind thinking. Um, But... um, So yeah, I'll leave you with that. Um, Over the next two weeks, I think as we wrap up, I want to talk about what this looks like in the Christian life and really how this plays into the bigger picture of the New Testament. So thanks so much, and (laughs) hope I didn't scare anybody too much.